me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jack. I don't care if I never get back. Yes, today we are going out to the ball game with Deep Point, an extra show from the Emerging Cricket podcast where we look behind the headlines and delve into a news story that we couldn't fit into the main edition on Friday. I'm your host, Nick Skinner, and this week it's all about the USA. Now, we've seen quite a lot of news come out recently, and not all of it involved election shenanigans. Some of it was about cricket. So, to help unpack the goings-on within USA Cricket, I've got Nate Hayes on the line, Emerging Cricket's USA correspondent. Nate, how's things in North Carolina? Pretty good. It's uh, it's starting to cool off a little bit, but uh, but otherwise it's pretty nice. Yeah, well, we're we're just moving into summer, so it's uh, yeah the the opposite season thing. Um, now the first story that we have today is one which grabbed a lot of attention around the cricketing world, and that's the planned redevelopment of a baseball facility in Grand Prairie, Texas, where the Airhogs team has folded after dwindling crowds and a dismal 2020 season. Uh, the venue has been leased for 15 years with a view to converting it into an ODI standard turf venue as part of the upcoming Major League Cricket Tournament and the USA Cricket's stated ambitions of hosting major ICC events in the next right cycle. Nate, there's a lot of moving parts to this, but you wrote an excellent article for Emerging Cricket, breaking it all down. So how's everything going to work? Well, the uh, the stadium, it looks like it's in a pretty good spot. It's it's about 12 miles away from the airport, the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. And one of their arguments is that they wanted it right in the middle of the country. And Dallas, Texas is pretty much right smack in the middle. It doesn't take five hours to fly anywhere in the continental U.S. from Dallas. So uh, that was uh, used as one of their justifications. And they're planning on using it for as a hub for USA, as a home venue for one of their six major league franchises, and um, hopefully to lure international competitions and big events uh, like the Olympics, if that ever happens, and um, obviously World Cups. So they've spent I think it's $15 million to redevelop the stadium in Grand Prairie. It's a 15-year lease with American Cricket Enterprises, obviously uh, USA Cricket's commercial partner. Now, do you think that's an effective use of money? Obviously, it's it's quite a lot of coin, and you know maybe it could have been put elsewhere in, in USA Cricket? Well, it depends. Uh, when you look at the central location, if you want to build in that area now, uh, originally that stadium was built for $20 million back in 2008. It's only 12 years old, which is really pretty young for a sports venue. And that translates to probably around $30 million today in that area, considering that over a million people have moved there since 2008 when the stadium was built. And with that comes a bit more scarcity of uh, easily accessible cheap land for development. So if you want to start there, if that's the place you want to be, it, it's it's a pretty good idea to, to, to buy an old stadium, especially that one. It's got a lot of land around it. Uh, it's got a lot of flat land around it. It shouldn't cost too much to, you know, relatively speaking, to put the two extra grounds that they want on that property. But they're saying, you know, about $10 million or more. Uh, you, you said 15 million. Uh, that wouldn't be unreasonable to do good renovations for to make it cricket specific. It's got 13 uh, suites. Uh, there was a stadium built for comparison's sake. There's a stadium built in Amarillo, Texas, for a minor league team that's kind of comparable, about the same size, and it was built in 2019. 
that cost 45 million. So that's, you know, it could be 45, 40 million or so to build a brand new stadium there. So I think it's reasonable to say that it's a pretty good investment if that's where you want to set up a big cricket stadium, 8,000 people and stuff. Uh, HKS is involved in the renovation and they're an architect firm which uh, contributed to the Dallas Cowboys new stadium, a monster, and, uh, you know, cost about a billion and a half dollars. <laughs> so, so I think this stadium will probably look very different when it's finished, uh, considering HKS is involved. But with uh, the fact that they're spending, you know, 10 million or, or more, or 15 million, uh, and they're building two adjacent grounds, I would imagine they'll try to keep as much as they can to stretch their money. So you mentioned those extra grounds and the corporate suites as well. So what's the plan here with the extra grounds? Is this going to be some sort of, you said it was a hub facility maybe for cricket in America. So what's the overall strategy with what the stadium's going to do? Well, it looks like they, they want to have, it at, they've mentioned they want it to be a training facility for USA Cricket. Uh, some of the people in the presser, some of the local uh, government officials were talking about hoping that maybe cricketers from around the country would move to the area so they'll be close there so they can train easier. Uh, so with two extra grounds nearby, kind of like in the UAE, that gives them the ability to hold big events and it allows them, they can also probably play the minor league games on the, on the smaller fields unless it's a big game played on the big stadium. So it gives brings more turf wickets to, to the whole community, which I'm sure will be utilized. Now, one of the points about the, the conversion is the setup of the ground. Obviously, a baseball stadium is, is set up for viewing baseball, which isn't the same as cricket. And, and so the sight lines of the stadium are aimed at the pitcher's mound, which you point out would equate to around fine leg or mid-off. Um, how do you see that going in terms of uh, you know the, the actual experience for, for spectators? Well, looking at the stadium, the... Uh the seats of a baseball stadium are always oriented towards the pitcher's mound, just where 90% of the action is happening. Uh, it's why it's so stressful to be a pitcher, I bet. <laughs> so I can see them taking the seats out and, and re-angling them. But the suites themselves look like they're kind of just facing forward because they use the stadium for uh, concerts, things like that. So I think they'll probably keep the suites, I would imagine. But um, but yeah, the sight lines it made me think think a lot because I've you know I've grown up going to baseball games. I think the orientation of the actual stadium itself is a little bit is is a little bit better. It doesn't kind of come back like like a V shape like Dodger Stadium. It's a little bit more square in the corner there. So I think that they can work with that with uh, just turning the seats a little bit. But yeah, it's it's if they leave the seats how they are now, everybody will be cheering every time they put a fielder at fine leg. <laughs> The, uh, the old Merv Hughes uh, will get a bit of a workout. Um, so, one thing that comes to mind is, you know, th this is a, a failed baseball team. They won awards, I think, for this facility when it was first opened. So, obviously, just having a nice ground doesn't guarantee that the fans will come. So, how do you see this playing out in terms of American cricket fans? I think it's true that uh, having a nice facility doesn't guarantee fans. I mean, look at look at Florida. That's a pretty nice stadium, and they, they really can't get fans there. <laughs> 20 at, at the first US ODI, yeah. Right. <laughs> and it's such a shame, too. But it also reminds me of what Paul Radley said in the pod last week about UAE. Just because people don't flock to it at the start, that doesn't mean it's a bad idea. Samir Mehta uh, mentioned he's the co-founder of ACE, American Cricket Enterprises. Uh, he mentioned in the presser that they aren't reducing 
the success of the project to dollar signs, which PDP reported on. And there's always a good argument to be made that there needs to be a hub and there needs to be a place to set their flag. Uh, the Air Hogs baseball team had to compete with a major league team in the same market, which uh, competing with a major league team when you're a minor league unaffiliated team is a very, it's a risky thing to do. So affiliated teams mean that you're, you belong to a major league team. Your talent on your team, if it's good enough, gets promoted to the major league. So it's not like Europe where teams are relegated and promoted. Players are relegated and promoted. So a minor league team is more like an academy when they are affiliated. When they're unaffiliated, they're usually places for old baseball players who aren't good enough to play in the major leagues, but they have a good name. So those players tend to get fill the seats a little bit. But if you're unaffiliated and you're close to a major league team, it's, it's a, probably a little bit more risky. So they had a lot of things going against them. The Airhawks did. They're also in that that is like an entertainment district. So there's theme parks. There's all kinds of fancy things in the area. And, you know, when you're not the biggest and best and you're surrounded by all these fancy things. Yeah, you, you, it's an uphill climb. The way cricket has an advantage there is it's the only major pro cricket team in the state. And I can see a Starfield Major League Cricket selling out with uh, Houston only four hours away. And that's not a really long trip in, in Texas. So you've got pretty much two markets there that can come to the bigger games. And I think, it, you know, it has a good chance to work. Now, this this sort of um, plays into other forces at work in, in baseball. Um, and the Major League Baseball competition is, is restructuring pretty significantly over the next little while. Um, and, and you made an interesting point about how that might affect cricket. Yeah, as far as venues goes, uh, the affiliated minor leagues, there's 30 major league teams and there's 160 affiliated minor league teams. So you can see that math doesn't really line up very evenly. So it seems like the major league has decided to consolidate their minor league system and streamline it a little bit. And in doing so, one of the things they're considering is the locations of all the minor league teams. They're cutting 40 of the 160 teams completely, which means those 40 teams are going to have to fend for themselves. They're going to have to join an unaffiliated league, which is a lot harder than it sounds because Major League is going to choose a lot of these teams based on convenience of location. So if you're left out of that and you happen to be an unaffiliated team that's 300 miles away from the next unaffiliated team, it's going to be an expensive thing for you to join a league with with anybody else that's not affiliated. So that's going to equal a lot of venues that are probably going to go unused or changed for other purposes. So Major League Cricket might have the ability to take advantage of that and to get some more facilities like this. Or, you know, Major League Cricket or pretty much any upstart league of any kind you know there will be venues available it's stuff to forecast what will happen exactly because major league baseball hasn't even decided yet on which teams they're keeping affiliated and which ones they aren't so that's going to be interesting to see and it's definitely going to ripple across the baseball world and there's a lot of fans very disappointed by that because minor league baseball is a you know it's a community event this is another another thing when usa uh, cites the the amount of Willow subscribers in, in the state of Texas. Uh, minor League Baseball, if you want to compare cricket to Minor League Baseball, Minor League Baseball succeeds because it connects with the local community. It doesn't succeed because it sells subscription to, to streaming rights. I mean, very few Minor League Baseball games are watched on TV. You know, most of them are watched in person by, by the direct local community. So um, there's some interesting things that hopefully minor league cricket, major league cricket, USA cricket can learn from that and uh, is, is ready to connect to the community there. 
Now, you mentioned those uh, Willow subscribers, and that was certainly part of the logic in acquiring this facility, was the number of cricket fans in the area. And Grand Prairie is part of the Dallas metro area, and as you said, next to the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. What's the cricket scene like on the ground in Dallas? It it seems to be a, a, a blooming area for cricket. Uh, like I said, there's been over a million people moved there in the last 10 years or so. So it, the cricketing scene's growing a lot, especially in the neighboring community. From what I've heard, the Irving Mustangs of the minor league had the second most per game views of any team in the minor league cricket. And I believe a lot of that has to do with players who grew up in the area with the area supporting them, much like in Morrisville, North Carolina. Now, that does bring us to Morrisville, North Carolina, uh, where there's that very well-known Church Street ground, which uh, we saw host a USA-Canada game that got very good attendance in the sub-regionals a couple of years ago. And the community support that you talk about, the, the comparison to minor league baseball, seems very strong there, and that's, that's where you're based. So, how does that part of the American cricket fraternity feel about this you know, big whiz-bang facility across the country when you guys have been putting up a lot of community efforts to connect to the local, the local cricket fans? That's definitely a concern. Um, as a local myself i try to balance myself uh about that uh my opinion and stuff but um i see the passion of the community here and usa cricket has put practically no money into the area and yet there's still an international quality cricket ground here and i know an argument often is but they aren't icc approved for odi but uh but seriously is the onus on the city of morrisville to build an usa and odi approved ground it wouldn't take very much to get it there probably not much more than a handshake with the right people (laughs) and and at most a small investment compared to dallas uh but uh usa came here as I've talked about all the time. They played two games against Canada. They had over 2,000 in attendance, and the weekday game they played started during work hours. The evening game was going on while our season was was happening, and that's you know 2,000 plus cricketers in the area out playing games. So you you see that there's even more potential for more fans to come there if they time it well. But as uh, Peter Delapena has said before, Morrisville isn't a risk. It's a proof of concept. We know USA would work here because it has. There's a lot of talk about organic grassroots in uh, USA, and I don't know any better example than Morrisville. So there's a lot of care here for the USA team, and I've talked to people in the area in the last couple of days who feel a bit let down. When the USA did play here last, a lot of people, dozens of people, took significant leave from work to volunteer and to make the effort run smoothly, and paid leave from work doesn't grow on trees in the USA. So it's a project of passion for people around here, cricket cricket is, and they latched onto the USA team, met them at the airport. If you ask any USA player, they'll tell you they want to play here. So it's 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 a difficult balance um, having expectations with USA Cricket because how much do you hold the current board to the expectations set by prior leadership? And the Morrisville community definitely felt like it was going to be more involved in USA's plans than it has been. And it has been disappointing to a lot of the local fans. That said, Morrisville's situation isn't as tragic as Indianapolis, which built the turf grounds hoping to host USA events, you know, about a decade ago. Yeah. And um, it's gone pretty much untouched for the last five years. So the only recently they've they've finally been getting some uh, some use on the grounds by the upstart Midwest Blind Cricket. Hmm. So Church Church Street will have full use of their ground by the local league itself. So it's not devastating. You know, cricket around here happens with or without help from out outside. So uh, that's that's one one bright spot. And 
Also, from what I've heard, the USA board does highly regard Church Street Park, and I really do think there's room for them in their plans. I think a lot of people here would love to see USA Canada again. You know, I think you and I would love to see that. Yeah, and we could we could make an outing to the steakhouse. Um, <laughs> now, I know USA Cricket does have, or, you know, cricket in America does sort of have this history of bigging up some big new facility that's going to change everything and then drifting away. So we've seen that, obviously, with the, the Indianapolis World Sports Park, which hosted, I think, a, a qualifier a few years ago and then not a whole lot since then. Blind cricket now, which I mean, that's that's a whole other underrepresented side of the game. But you know, even the facility in Fort Lauderdale, you know, that's cost a huge amount of money. And if they're trying to set up the Grand Prairie facility as the new high performance hub for for the country, you know, where does that leave Florida? I, th- I think this takes us to the fact that it is operated by ACE, ACE, um, American Cricket Enterprises. And, you know, they're trying to make money in the way that they want. And it it sort of seems like USA Cricket is being dragged around by their plans because they don't necessarily line up with a a coherent vision. Obviously, there's a lot of overlap in, in terms of their interests, but, you know, Ace has their own plans and USA sort of almost has to follow along. Yeah, I think... um think that had to be expected going into it with the with the amount of money that's being put into to everything by ace i think it had to be expected that they would have a lot of say they're the ones with the money after all but if nobody's coming to, to lauder hill if nobody's coming to, the, to florida nobody's coming to those games and they're not on the hook to pay lauder hill florida then i don't really see why they would stay setting up there they would keep trying things there but yeah uh samir meta i mentioned him before co-founder of ace he stated the other day in the presser that they want to recruit the right players, and he said this includes players who want to stay here and eventually play internationally. And, of course, that's a whole conversation. But, but yeah, so how much they're steering the ship, you know, it seems like they are. Whether or not that's a good thing is, is going to be seen for sure. Now, it is, of course, tradition in America to name election analysts Nate, <laughs> and cricket elections are no different. Um, another story coming out of American cricket this week was an administrative vote from USAC. Tell us what's going on there. Well, uh, so they cited COVID as a reason why they want to expand their, their democracy, I guess. They, they want to um, include more participants in the election process, both uh, candidates and, and voters. Uh, to me, the, the questionable thing is we definitely need a lot more people to participate in USA elections. Um, but it, USA cricket elections, I should specify. <laughs> and, well, both of them, really. But yeah, at the same time, are they knocking the door down right now to vote? I mean, are there, are there people lining up saying, hey, I want to vote. Why can't I vote? And if they're there, just tell us that they're there. You know, show us, hey, we have people that really want to vote. We have more people. Otherwise, we're just going to have such a small amount. So uh, it's great that they came out and they voiced their reasons the other day with their, you know, clarification announcement. But providing people examples that would support that reasoning would be better transparency. And also, you're asking people who know that they have a big, you know, their vote has a lot of weight right now. If the membership is low, their vote means a lot. So we talked before, it's like they're Montana right now, you know, (laughs) or Wyoming. So they're going to have a disproportionately large vote. So you really have to convince people in that case to vote for this when it's going to dilute their own vote. And people are going to think, well, why did I have to sign up a year ago to vote? And other people might not. I mean, you know how people are going to be. And and it makes sense. So I think the low memberships kind of show that while we have a lot of cricket fans in the USA, we don't really have a whole lot of people who are in tune with with what's happening with uh, USA Cricket. The article I wrote the other day about the referendum was not widely viewed as much as some of the other ones. So 
this is uh, this is why individual communities matter so much. So I, I hope the Dallas uh, area is receptive to U, uh, to USA Cricket as Morrisville has been, and at the same time, Morrisville's USA membership numbers aren't very good either. So that that has a part. And from USA's point of view, there are definitely enough critics out there. There there are a lot of critics. Why aren't they all signing up to vote? There are a few enough voters right now that any region or league in the USA could dominate elections if they just canvass their communities enough. So why, why don't people sign up to vote? They, they can make the biggest difference right now. Uh, that, that sounds a lot like an Australian political tactic called branch stacking, where you just get all your mates to join the, the local office and um, <laughs> have, have a lot of influence. But um, just as a bit of more of an overview, what was actually in this referendum that they're proposing? So what they want to do is there are two parts to it. The first one is there's a trying to change the prerequisites for eligibility to vote. And uh, that would be that you've been a member for at least a year before you're eligible to vote or participate in the elections as as a candidate. And um, what they want to change it to is to be determined. So the, the board will determine what the new prerequisite will be. So um, that's the thing about it that, that that's probably got people, you know, a little bit tentative. The second referendum they wanted to vote on was everybody in a committee, as the rules are now, would be in that committee for three years. So the committees were just formed. Uh, what they don't want to happen is they don't want somebody to be in a committee for three years, be voted out after a year, and have to deal with someone who's been eliminated from, from serving on the board You know, for, for two whole years, have that person sitting in a committee. So what they've decided to do is say, well, we want to change our committee um terms to one year so that every year they can decide who's on what committee and that way they don't have to keep people who have been voted out. So that one makes a lot of sense I think. Um, They do leave room for the board to decide if someone who is voted out was a valuable part of their committee they can still keep them in there if they want to. So it gives the board a lot more power. So you could see that both ways. You could say oh well hey if you're involved in a project and you get voted out of the board but you were in the committee for that project you know maybe it's good to have that continuity to have someone there for a year or so after they're not in the board anymore Um, but at the same time you can see there's obviously potential for problems there too. Now, I saw a stat from uh, PDP about this situation with the members, uh, the membership being quite small. He reckons they lost 85% of their members when they swapped from the the free membership to the paying model, which, I mean, obviously, you're going to lose some people once once you have to start paying for it, but it, it's not that expensive. And, and it seems to undermine the legitimacy and you know, the, the community buy-in of the project. And this, this sort of goes back to the question the perennial question of USA cricket that we, we have a lot of cricket fans who live in the USA, but not necessarily that many people who are invested in USA cricket. And that problem is a continuing one for American cricket. And I don't know necessarily how, um, how the board is going to get past that. Yeah, I think also, this is just the way I see it. I think also there was an awful lot of effort that went into getting those members to join, what, two two years ago now, three years ago, something like that. It seemed like they made a very big effort to try to get people to join. I mean, it, you know, Eric Parton was involved in that quite a bit. So I, I think it's more than just the money. I think you really have to go out there and try to get people to sign up. I mean, I, and, and they have plans right now that look like a really good idea actually and there are other sports leagues in the in the country that do this or not sports leagues but governing bodies like like uh, usa hockey and stuff but what they're trying to do now is tie it to an app that they're going to have the app will kind of kind of centralize information about american cricket so leagues will use it for scoring so so the league will sign up and then when you when the league signs up people in the league have to sign up to use it and when they sign up to use it they're 
buying the ability to use that app, which uh, will share share stats and stuff across the country. They're buying that ability to do that, and they're gaining a USA uh, Cricket membership. And that's I think that's a really good idea, honestly, it, it, if you want to get big big membership numbers. I mean, everyone says there's 200,000 people playing cricket here. Okay, well, where's the members? Well, now we'll find out. So you want to incentivize those leagues to, to use your app. You want to incentivize them to to work out in your favor and you, you want to do that you know you don't want to punish them obviously but you want to incentivize the people to do that and the way you know other governing bodies do it here uh usa hockey like i said what they do is they make deals with with rinks and leagues that they'll provide uh insurance it's like a extra health insurance or or, or accident insurance really so if you injure yourself the insurance is supposed to cover you and that costs you know it's fifty dollars a year to sign up for usa hockey and as part of that you get insurance and what happens is these leagues these rinks and stuff they enforce that they make you do it so uh you know it's not that different from that yeah i I think um i remember seeing a comment from jamie harrison who's involved in kids cricket in maryland and and he made a point that i think is is quite good which is basically there's all these numbers as thousands and thousands of people playing in america and all these leagues and yeah that's fine and and they there are lots of people playing cricket in america but most of them are in these these leagues that don't really talk to each other so instead of getting sidetracked by that try and get as many people as you can to join the usa cricket you know under that umbrella and then those people who join that's your starting point that's where you're building from and don't try and chase all these new leagues basically just say all right well that's usa cricket at the moment and we'll try and grow from there and and so i think that's probably a a smart way to do it well yes but then we also uh, get back to the point about ace involvement and um you can do that you can say, all right, well, you're either with us or we're just going to not consider you. You know, you can you can do that, but you can't do that when you have the minor league going on right now, mm. which is 24 teams spread across the country and you're consolidating talent that way. And to me, the minor league, yes, it's rough around the edges right now. Yes, the streaming was not that great. Yes, I laughed for a good 10 minutes listening to some of the people setting up the live streaming on at one point cursing at each other. <laughs> <laughs> that video is not up any longer. <laughs> but, you know, so yes, there's there's some, it's rough around the edges, but for all its flaws, one thing that it's done has been, it's been something that everybody's asked for and everybody's seen. And that is uh, you have to make a pathway for the youth to the to the national team. You have to make a pathway for them or else they're going to get disinterested. They're going to care more about their local league or about, you know, something else than they are about making it to the national team. And now that the minor league cricket is here and it is a pathway to the team or it will be, especially when they get all turf wickets in there, because what they've done is they've energized the youth in USA, the youth uh, cricketers. I, every time I talk to a young kid, they love the minor league cricket. They're so stoked about it. I've talked to kids who are too young to play who can't wait to do it and they all see a path now and that's a huge deal so if the trade-off is hey you know what we have to include some of these communities that maybe if we did it another way we would you know we would like you said the let's just start with what we have and we don't want to go begging people or making deals to join up so there's a couple ways to do it but you know this is the way they have they have to do it now and if the trade-off is you know, one of the benefits is that they, they get the, the youth excited and the youth can see a, uh, a pathway, then, then it's all worth it. Well, just on that, the pathway to the team, 
We've got uh, another little tidbit, and that's reports that Balochistan and former Pakistan test opener Sami Aslam has declared his intention to play Major League Cricket and eventually qualify for the US national team. And that you know goes back to the ace statements about getting players in for the Major League Cricket who will potentially qualify for the US team. So I guess, Nate, what do you make of this? You know, we, we've seen Dane Pete do something similar a few months ago, and um, Aslam... He's currently 24 years old. So, you know, assuming he's able to get on a plane sometime soon and, and start his three-year qualification, the, the U.S. should get a decent amount of cricket out of him. Yeah, you know, I didn't realize he's only 24 years old till I looked it up. But, uh, yeah, I mean, most of the time the rumors that we hear are guys who are a little bit older than that. So, yeah, he's got great experience. And it, it's, you know, it's a catch-22. They USA needs to develop the game. USA needs to develop their own cricketers. But at the same time, you want them to play against good competition. So... It's a topic that's discussed an awful lot in associate cricket and in cricket in general, but it looks like this is going to be like, you know, a next level stuff. <laughs> this is, you know, it looks like they're going to be really going after some guy. But the youth in the in the country are already showing that they can play really well. And I think um, they're doing, they're, they're showing it to a degree that I think anybody who's paying attention here and sees some of these young guys has a feeling that we're, that we're going to be in good shape, you know, in about 10 years time. So it's, it's very exciting to see them do that. And yeah, it's a little bit cautious when you see them going after these guys and hopefully it doesn't turn into like the early ages of NHL national hockey league expansion, where teams would just grab up any former NHL player they could get their hands on just because, you know, they played in the NHL. They might be, not have knees, but they'd be on the team. <laughs> so <laughs> You know, it's the extra talent in the country is only going to help the young guys. And we've seen with the minor league exhibition season that the young guys are are confident and they learn quickly. And some of them started off pretty rough, especially California. They, they were playing on turf the whole time and they were playing against, you know, there were good bowlers in California. And some of these young kids, you know, they took wickets eventually. They they scored runs eventually. And they showed that, that we've got some good talent here, especially our young talent. And that's, to me, the most exciting thing. Yeah, well, that's kind of my take on this whole situation is that often associate countries will have this attitude that, well, if you've played uh, 13 tests and four ODIs like Sami Eslam uh, from Pakistan, you must be good. Or, you know, if you've played domestic cricket uh, in a full member country, you must be good. Whereas, you know, that it's not necessarily the case that they're any better than the local talent. And and that's something that I'm often frustrated with is, is just how much the local talent is overlooked because, hey, this other guy played a couple of games, you know, for Guyana or whoever else. And that's seen as being better than the, the local scene, which which I don't think it necessarily is. Right, and especially in cricket where we see a lot of reasons for people to get chances in cricket and sometimes those reasons aren't merit. So you don't always know why, what reason somebody got so many chances at whatever level. You know, it's not unusual for some big name country to give a guy a whole lot of chances because of who he is or, or who somebody that he knows is or somebody he's related to is. So you can't really say just because a guy played this, he's going to be great. So it's um I mean at the at the same time you know Sammy Aslan is is a pretty good player from the looks of things so and and you know I'm sure a lot of the guys they're bringing over are good talent and from what I've heard talking to some of the players around the country they love playing with these guys so it's a uh, it's a difficult thing you want to sometimes it's tempting to like take up the pitchfork and say ah you're gonna take the chances away from all of our youth and all of our national players but then you talk to the youth in the, in the national players and a lot of them are excited to be playing with these players and they're excited at, the, at what they're learning so you know it's kind of a balance it's, it's definitely grayer than I'd like to I'd like to think it is 
And the last news that we've seen come out this week very recently is that the Florida zonal trial has been uh, cancelled or, or postponed. You know, this is probably not surprising given the situation's quite bad, but it, it, you know, it is unfortunate. Yeah, it, I, I feel really bad for the Florida cricketers. Uh, it's a great place to play cricket because obviously the weather's great, so you can play there all year long, except for, you know, the, the daily thunderstorms in, in the late summer. Mm-hmm. But, um... You know, they they haven't gotten to play much cricket this season, especially related to national programs. They missed out on the minor league cricket and now on the zonals. And it's the right thing to do to shut it down, but it's got to be frustrating for them to see 80% of the country playing anyways. <laughs> yeah, even when uh, maybe they shouldn't. Um... Right. Nate, I think that pretty much wraps up. Uh, this has been a lot longer than <laughs> I expected it to be, but obviously there's a lot going on in American cricket at the moment. So thanks a lot for your time, and uh, hopefully we can speak soon, either on uh, Deep Point or the main podcast. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. Because it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old.